Well, today is a good day. It's a good day to be together. It's a great day because we can be here as a church family, and anytime we can do that, uh, well, that's going to be a special day. It's also a great day because it is Mother's Day, and uh, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for the way that she mothers our three kids. She works hard. She's faithful. She keeps going and going and going. She works a full-time uh, job as a school nurse and then just her presence in, her ho- in our home. And uh, we got to celebrate a little bit yesterday. We wanted to play pickleball today, but today's not exactly pickleball weather. So we did that as a family. And I'm sure I'll stand maybe by like some of you by the grill today with an umbrella, uh, grilling some chicken later. Looking forward to that. But I'm also thankful for my mom. I think my wife said it best. My mom is one of the most thoughtful people uh, in the world. I'm thankful for my mother-in-law who I think she says she's loved me since day one. I don't know. Maybe maybe she's fibbing there a little bit, but uh, grateful for her and and certainly grateful for all of you. And uh, we're just uh, excited to be able to celebrate with you uh, today. All right. Hey, by a show of hands. All right. So you got to get involved here and need some participation. By a show of hands, uh, who here loves a great love story? All right, get your hand up in the room if that's true of you. Thank you to all the women in the room. I see Jake Russell in the back. Appreciate your support uh, on this as well. All right, we all love uh, some good love stories. Maybe maybe some guys here too, but there are a lot of great love stories out there. Uh, great love stories in the books that we read, great love stories maybe through the shows that we watch and certainly the movies that we'll turn back to over and over again. I threw the question out on my Facebook Facebook page this past week. What's your favorite love story movie of all time? It was like over 200 responses uh, to that question. And some of those answers probably won't surprise you. You're already thinking them. Maybe it's a movie that's already come to mind for you. And maybe depending on your generation, you might have some different choices. But movies like The Notebook, lots of people chime in about The Notebook being one of the greatest love stories that they've ever seen. Certainly Titanic. We know the blockbuster that was at the movie theater for week after week after week. Uh, there's the Tom Hanks movie, You've Got Mail, right? Some, some people, maybe some of you would say, you know what, that's a, a favorite movie of mine. Sweet Home Alabama was another. Uh, Notting Hill, there's Gone with the Wind, Ghost, even A Dumb and Dumber was thrown out there, you know, uh, some, a, a great love story. And then uh, there are all the animated films too, and, and we thank Disney for a lot of those great ones, movies like Beauty and the Beast, and uh, Cinderella, Lady and the Tramp. Uh, it may or may not surprise you that I'm a big fan of love stories too. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'll, I'll go out there and maybe some of you guys will join me in this. I, I've got my favorites when I, when I think about some great love stories. Uh, uh, we'll see if any of these resonate with any of you. Great love stories like Hoosiers, the basketball movie, you know, about the, the coach and again, his pursuit of the teacher all the way through that, that great love story classic, Apollo 13. I mean, you know, Tom Hanks, he went, I mean, you think he went to the moon and back, you know, for his wife, you know, and, and, and came home. I mean, it was a big part of his desire to get back. And I, I know that for some of you, I don't even have to explain Gladiator and Braveheart to you and the powerful romantic love stories that there were. And then maybe some of my favorites of all time, the Rocky movies, uh, you know, one through four, you know, for all you Rocky lovers, you know, you got Rocky and a- Adrian and, and particularly number two, Rocky number two, if you remember, Adrian went into coma and she had just come out of coma and Rocky's there bedside so you know I'm not going to fight anymore I won't fight Apollo and she says come here I want to tell you something you remember this all right he, he leans in all right and at that moment she says I just want you to do one thing for me and she goes when 
win. And the music starts, you know, mix in the background, say, what are we waiting for? You know, Rocky busts out of the room again. I, I know it's probably bringing some tears to your eyes, you know, <laughs> thinking about that great love story. But what is it about love stories? Like, why do we love, why are we drawn to love stories so much? Well, it's you know, a great love story is just this. It's a story of a man and a woman that overcome a, a significant challenge or, 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 or problem in their life. You know, they're going against great odds. Or uh, in most movies or stories, there's some kind of separation, but the heart grows fonder through it, and eventually the, the two come back together. And in the end, you know, love wins. And so good love stories, they move us. They, they make us emotional. They, they draw us in. They capture our attention. Today I want to introduce you to a love story that might be new, it might be a story that's unfamiliar to you. It's found in the first half of our Bible. Uh, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament book of Hosea. Uh, if you've got your Bibles today, Hosea is a powerful love story. Uh, the story of a man and a woman, scandal, uh, and the ability to rise above all, against all odds. But Hosea, if you've read the story before, you know anything about it, isn't just a love story between a man and a woman, but it's also a picture of what our relationship with God is really like. And if you've been reading in our planted reading plan, you would have been reading through, if you're caught up, you've been reading through Hosea the last couple of days. And uh, you know that Hosea's story is a painful story. It's a, a painful story as it gives us a picture of what, what God thinks about our sin and what he thinks about our rebellion and how devastating it is when we turn our backs on him. But it's a beautiful story at the very same time as we begin to realize that no matter what you do, no matter how great you may fail, uh, no matter how you may far you may fall in your life, like it doesn't matter how badly you mess up. God's love for you will never end. And he will take you back over and over and over again. And so let's look at Hosea together. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Hosea chapter 1 uh, in the Old Testament. If you use something like the YouVersion app on your phone, you can go there. We'll also put some verses up on the screen. But Hosea chapter 1, in the Hebrew Bible or in the Old Testament, there are what we know as 12 minor prophets. Books like Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah. We're going to be reading through some of those over the next couple of months. And they're minor. They're called minor, not because they're any less important or not because they're less significant, but get this, they're called minor because they're shorter in length, all right? It just blows your mind there, you know, just shorter in length. Books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are much longer, and so for those reasons, they're known as the major prophets. So let's pick it up in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. We want to set some context for this particular story so we can really get at the big idea of what it means for us today. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1, here's what we read. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of of Israel. Now, the references to kings like Uzziah and Ahaz and Hezekiah serve as a clue for us uh, that Hosea served and lived somewhere in the time frame of 755 to 715 BC. So we're talking over 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And if you've been doing the history, if you've been reading along in your planted reading plan, this puts Hosea's life somewhere in the range of 2 Kings 14 through 
through 17, all right? First and second Kings are history books, all right? And so Hosea, you can see his life and story right around the range of second Kings 14 to 17. And again, Hosea was called by a God to be a prophet. Prophets were special messengers uh, given specific assignments by God. Hosea's though, he might go down in history as having received one of the worst assignments of all time. Here's why, verse two. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, look what he's gonna tell him to do. The Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So many of us talk about wanting to hear from God, right? We want a vision from God. We want a calling from God. You wanna do something with your life. You wanna do something with your finances, with your resources that are gonna bless God and bring fulfillment to your life. You know, imagine if God's assignment, God's vision for you was like Hosea's when God says to him, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I mean, that's what he's doing here. That's that's what the promiscuous woman is. Uh, uh, Other translations of the Bible will actually use that word. And so this is Richard Gere and Julia Roberts before we ever seen, you know, pretty woman before. Why would God ask Hosea to do this? This might help. The idea of a wedding And a marriage between God and his people is an important symbol all throughout Scripture, going all the way back to Genesis and the garden, even into Exodus, the the covenant at, at Mount Sinai between God and his people, continuing all the way to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, which ends with a wedding. But this is the first time in Scripture where we'll see how our relationship with God really is compared to a marriage. And what makes Hosea's story even more interesting is that this scandalous marriage uh, God is directing Hosea into is gonna illustrate God's willingness to love Israel, to love his people, even as they're willing to turn to other lovers. Call it spiritual prostitution or idolatry. It means to turn your mind. It means to turn your attention, your affection to other things than than God. And in this case, God's been speaking to Israel. He's been warning them. You've been reading about this, warning them about their disobedience, but Israel won't listen. They keep looking for satisfaction in things other than God. They did this with foreign nations. All right, this is part of Hosea's story, that when times got tough, when times got confusing, the people of Israel would quickly turn to places like Egypt and Assyria for help and influence. They'd, they also turned to false uh, pagan gods like Baal. And, and if we were living then, we might not have even noticed. I mean, it might have been a slow fade of sorts, or, or maybe you and I would have, have kind of shrugged this fade off as no big deal, but that kind of rejection is a big deal to God. That kind of unfaithfulness uh, moves his heart. It grieves him when we go looking to other things to replace the trust that he wants us to have in him. Call them cheap imitations. We fall for them all the time. We're drawn to to cheap imitations, to substitutes all the time. Any any Aldi shoppers in the room? Anybody a big fan of Aldi? We're a big fan of Aldi in the Moomaw house. I was in Aldi on Friday and in Aldi again on, on Saturday doing some shopping there. But we, lo- we love Aldi, all right? And if you don't know a lot about Aldi, they don't carry a lot of name brand products, all right? They've, they've got all these, these imitations. It drives my friend Craig crazy. Uh, he won't have anything to do with Aldi. He just, he can't stand the imposters, you know? It, may, it, may, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me so much, but it could bother some of you, you know? I mean, 
It'll bother you if you're a big Oreo fan, because if you're a big Oreo fan and you go to Aldi, the Benton's double-filled chocolate sandwich cookies, like, it's just not going to be the same. Like, it's just going to mess with you a little bit, even though they're double-filled, all right? Again, you just, you prefer the Oreo. You, you don't do the, the, the substitute. The, the same is true if you've been eating a bowl of Lucky Charms every day for the last 30 years. If that's so, marshmallows and stars, it's just not going to have the same ring to it, is it? I mean, you know, it's just not the same as the original. But it's not just Aldi either. I mean, other places do it too. I mean, who doesn't get hungry every once in a while and crave a, a nice big can of prongles? Huh? All right. The, well, once you pop, that's, that's great. You know, the original Pringles, the, even the salt and potato, you know, flavor, uh, flavor prongle. It, it'll drive you crazy, right? I mean, if you're used to the original, if you want the original, you're not going to put up with the imita- imitations or the cheap substitutes. When it comes to God, cheap substitutes won't cut it. They won't do it for us, but we fall for them. Uh, we're quick to turn to them. Think about it. Think about this. What, where do you turn when you get bored or frustrated? Uh, what, what do you gravitate to? Or uh, where, where do you turn when your needs aren't being met? Uh, where do you go looking to satisfy those things? What, what do you cling to when you're afraid or when you're anxious about something? There, there are so many examples of things that we will allow uh, to take the place of, of God in our lives. Money is a wonderful example of this, right? I mean, consider the role money plays in our lives. It's necessary. Uh, it's a great and a valuable resource. It's a horrible substitute for God. Uh, but when we get worried, you know, when we get greedy, like you can't help but want more and more of it. And the thing about money is that there's never enough. And so we worry about it. And when we worry about it, we cling to it tightly and, and we're going to struggle to let it go. Here, here's something else. Here's another example. Our desire for love and, and affection and relationships can become a substitute. They can become a, an idol in our lives. And again, there's nothing wrong with relationships, I mean, God created relationships. He desires to see us in relationships. But when we compromise convictions, uh, when we sacrifice our beliefs, when we, when we sin and we go looking for love and intimacy in people and places that compromise God's great desire for us, well, you can see how the pursuit of love in these relationships can quickly take the place of God in your life. The same thing is true with things like alcohol. The same thing is true with things like food and, and shopping. These things can become an, an idol for us pornography the same what where do you turn when you get stressed uh, what do you go looking to when you get frustrated or when you get anxious what do you what do you use to to mask the pain and and some of the hard of life like like the people of Israel we're so quick I'm so quick to turn to other things for happiness and pleasure and and so we'll turn to bad habits We'll turn to these other things to numb the pain. And don't get me wrong, let's just say this. I mean, cheap substitutes provide, can satisfy us, at least temporarily. But that's the problem with these things, that there's only a temporary satisfaction. I mean, they're, they're great at distracting us. They're, they're, they're great at distracting us from problems that don't seem to go away. But, but the satisfaction, again, is only temporary. And it's ultimately disappointing when you consider the fact that God offers us so much more. Uh, He offers so much more for us. I mean, God wants to be your joy. Our God wants to be your greatest pleasure in life. 
He, he wants to prove himself as the giver of all good things. He wants to be your source of strength. He wants to be your source of love. He wants to satisfy you in ways like nothing else in this world can. And it grieves him when we turn to other things, when we give ourselves up, our lives, to imitations or to cheap substitutes. And Israel was guilty of doing this, turning to these other things, to other lovers, and it was ruining them. It was harming their relationship with God. And so God is going to use Hosea to illustrate for us, for everyone, what's really happening. All right, and so he says, go and choose this woman as your wife. And he, he expands on that. Verse 3, look what, look what Hosea does. It says, So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. What's more surprising to you? Hosea's willingness to marry this promiscuous woman or the fact that he's got to marry a woman named Gomer. Like, I mean, that's rough. Like, you know, again, this is just a, a tough assignment, you know, for Hosea. But something else interesting here, Hosea not only marries Gomer, but the implication is that he will genuinely love her and so much that he's going to start a family or at least embrace a family with her. Well, unfortunately, not long after marrying her, Gomer grows dissatisfied and she's be going to begin turning to her old ways. Chapter 2, verse 5 picks up on this. Look what happens. It says, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I'm going to go after my other lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Now, one of the things that makes Hosea difficult to read is that there's a couple of chapters of narrative and then a lot of poetry. All right, and so it really takes your time to get your mind around all of these. But here's the implication here. It's that, that Gomer's not sneaking around, all right? She and it, it, she's, it's not like, you know, she's trying to hide any of this. This is all happening in broad daylight. And so not only is she bringing shame upon herself by choosing these other men, but it's humiliating for Hosea too. Again, it was controversial enough for Hosea to choose this woman to begin with, especially with her reputation. But now she's back to her old ways. You can almost picture people, can't you? kind of wagging their finger, shaking their head at Hosea, saying, we told you so. Like, what did you expect? What did you expect in doing this? Well, you continue reading her story, and Gomer leaves Hosea for another man who's going to pay her for pleasure. And to make matters worse, this guy will abuse her, and over time he gets tired of her. And in this culture, women had little to no rights in marriage, and a prostitute almost none. And so this man has taken advantage of Gomer all right, had enough with her, and so he's basically going to take her to a slave auction to sell her off to someone else. And wouldn't you know it, God again has another assignment for Hosea. We read it in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to him, said to Hosea, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And so the Lord said to him, go show your love, go show love to your wife again. Genesis, let's remember that while this story at its heart is a story about God and his deep love for us, let's not forget that Hosea is a real person here, a real man, just like you and me. And so put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. How much would you have to love Gomer? Not just to forgive her and take her back, but to buy her back if needed. Even after she's humiliated you, embarrassed you, let you down time and time again, walked out on you, and it's not even if she wants to come back. Why give her another chance? God's got a point to make here. It's in the second part of this verse when he says, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, 
even though they turn to other gods. And so do you know what Hosea did? He went to the auction. Scholars say that Gomer would have been stripped naked and marched out in front of the other men to see so that they might see who they were bidding on. But Hosea, he's there because he wants to love her. He wants to protect her. He wants to bring her home again. And so he bought her. He willingly paid for what already belonged to him and showed her love once again. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. What a great story. Who picked out this story for Mother's Day Sunday? If you're new, you're probably thinking to yourself, who preaches on Hosea on Mother's Day? Well, again, we're reading through the Bible as a church this year, and it just happened to kind of fall in this time frame. In fact, when we looked at it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, the question was, should we just kind of change it and go to something else? But do you know what? I think God had this story in mind for us today. And do you know why? Because again, while it is the story of Hosea and Gomer, this promiscuous woman and unfaithfulness and scandal and taking her back, more than that, it's a story of our God and what he's like and what he really is like with his great and amazing and powerful love. And I don't know what brought you here today and those of you that are watching online, what your story, your circumstances are right now. It's been a tough year. And I don't know what this last year has dealt you I don't know how you have felt let down by somebody else, maybe a church, maybe even this church. Uh, maybe you've drifted. Maybe you have found yourself in some seasons and circumstances of life, and some of those you might look at and say, well, you know what, I kind of brought some of this on myself. Maybe there are other things that have happened to you just because it is a broken world that we live in and life is tough, but maybe to some degree you would say, you know what, I've drifted. I've kind of turned my back on God. He let me down, and so I have moved on to other things. I hope, and what I've been praying is that today, maybe in some special way, God has this message in mind for you, and maybe part of what we've shared so far, but maybe it's just this that I want to finish with today, because Hosea and Gomer's story has so much to teach us about the love of God, and there are at least several things that we learn from this story that I want to point out to you, and the first one is this, that when we talk about the love of God, we recognize that his love is scandalous. This God of ours, it is a scandalous sort of love, especially when you understand that it, Hosea had every right to let her go, not take her back. Again, she made her choices, all right? She's got to live with the consequences of these decisions. It's no different than any of us. We all make our choices too. Every day we have to live with the consequences of our choices. And God's judgment works a little bit like what we see here in this story because he's given you and me free will. All right, we have the freedom to choose for ourselves each and every day what we're going to do with our lives. We get to make our own decisions. And sometimes those decisions and circumstances work out really well for us. Sometimes that free will catches up to you. All right, as you, you find yourself in scenarios and circumstances that are way too much to bear, and we've got to live with the consequences of our choices. And unfortunately, we at times have to live with the consequences of the choices of people that we love, the decisions that they're making too. Here's the thing about you though and here's the thing about our God no matter how foolish you've been no matter how rebellious we might be no matter how selfish no matter how scandalous your past or your present his love is greater God's love is greater it is more scandalous than any love we will ever know and not only did Hosea take Gomer back but he pursued Gomer even in a rebellion and the fact is that God will do the same with us He'll do the same with you, whether you're ready to see it or not, because we're Gomer in the story. 
All right, if you haven't seen it yet, you and I, we are like Gomer. All right, we're the ones that turn our backs on God. We're the ones that go pursuing other things. Hosea had every right to divorce her, even have her executed for her actions, but his love wouldn't permit it. His love drove him back to her, and that's exactly how God's love works too. He's a perfect, pure, and holy God. He has every right to walk away and to give up on us, but he can't. His love won't allow it. His grace won't let him do it. This next verse may be one of the most remarkable in Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, when we just see the heart of God, when he says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. How many of you moms have ever looked at your kids in frustration and maybe you don't say it but you're thinking it like you drive me crazy like you're gonna make me lose my mind we've all had moments like that right moms you've had some moments like that and yet you still love them they drive you bonkers and you still love them like crazy verse 8 is a staggering picture of God's love that our sin our rebellion devastate him and yet he loves us like crazy he cannot and will not let you go Listen, God created a perfect world and he put Adam and Eve in it and they rebelled and they sinned and sin entered the world and God had every right to wipe them out. He had every right to wash his hands of it all and just go on with his existence, but his love wouldn't allow him to do it. And so he set out to redeem us. His scandalous love drove him. Here's something else we learn about the love of God, and that is that his love is costly. It's scandalous, and it's costly. I mean, Hosea raced to the auction to purchase his wife back. Uh, Hosea chapter 3, verse 2 says it like this. Next verse. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about an omer and lethek of barley. Scholars say that in this particular day and culture, 30 shekels was the going price for a slave. And so the fact that Hosea could only come up with 15 shekels seems to indicate that he didn't have enough. Like that's all that he had. This was everything. Buying her back cost him everything. What a picture of what God did for us with his son, Jesus Christ. That God's work of redemption cost him greatly. And we know and believe that Jesus was bruised and beaten for us, that like Gomer, Jesus was stripped naked and, and put out on public display for others to see. We deserve the punishment that Jesus bore for us, but God wouldn't allow it. And so he let Jesus pour out his own blood on the cross so that we could live and be free again. Jesus endured the consequences of my sin and your sin and our rebellion, and by doing so, he made a way so that we could be right with God. And he did this for you, and Jesus, he did this for me. And how in the world should we respond to a love like that? Like, should we continue in our own selfish ways and taking our own path and living like he doesn't exist? Or should we fall on our knees and praise him for his amazing, scandalous love for us? Here's one last thing about God's love, and that is that it's powerful. His love is powerful. Not, God not only asked Hosea to love Gomer when she was a prostitute, but did you notice that he also asked her to keep loving her even as she became an adulteress? And, and as far as we can tell, you know, prior to their marriage, like Gomer never had the chance to clean up her act. 
Like it wasn't like she could go back and, and fix her past mistakes or try and clean up. There, there, there was no probationary period. There was no prenup arrangement. God asked Hosea to marry her reputation and all. And this too shows us something amazing about God's love because so often, and I can see how we fall into this. I've probably been guilty of this too. So often people think that you've got to clean up your act first that you've got to get your life in order and in order for God to love you and for God to take you back. Like you can see how easy it is to get stuck into this thinking that I've got to make a bunch of changes in my life before I can get straight with God or I've got to see if I can clear up my past even before I walk into something like a church. That's not the good news of Jesus at all. The good news of Jesus is that God offers this powerful, uh, scandalous, costly love and forgiveness to us first he offers it first and because of that love and because of our ability to embrace it well that leads to the change that he hopes to see in each of us i love the story real quick jesus all right john chapter 5 jesus and the story of the woman at the well jesus encounters this woman in a place called Samaria. She doesn't know he, who he is, but he knows who she is, and, and he certainly knows her reputation and the fact that she's had five husbands. And likely with that, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal. I mean, you want to talk about a shady reputation. 2,000 years ago, th this is huge. I mean, you know, she's got one, and, and there's no escaping her past. And, and why else would she be out retrieving water in the heat of the day all by herself? And that is that she was living life as a loner. No one had anything to do with her except for Jesus. And the two of them engage in this really meaningful, powerful conversation about life, about substitutes, about satisfaction, and sensing security in Jesus. She starts opening up to him only so Jesus can enter in and help her see that she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. But Jesus didn't ask her to go clean up her act first. She just needed to receive the powerful, scandalous love of God that was being offered to her by Jesus. And it's only after she receives that love that Jesus tells her, now go and sin no more. See, God's love is powerful. It frees us from the past. It heals our wounded hearts and our souls. And it provides for us the power to change. And like he did with this woman, Jesus offers each of us that same love and his forgiveness and his death and resurrection means that he has the power to cancel the debt of sin that tries to rule and direct every aspect of our lives. But, but there's something else that, that God's love gives us the, the strength and the power to do too, that not only does he offer us his forgiveness, but the scriptures teach that he offers us his righteousness at the very same time. The cool thing is this, that when you trust Christ with your life, you, know, you receive his salvation but we also believe that you receive his righteousness at the very same time. And what that means for us is that when God sees you, he actually sees Jesus in you. That you don't stand on your own anymore, but that Jesus is right there with you and all of his righteousness and every good gift that comes from that. See, Jesus in us means that we have the power to change. Uh, Jesus in us means that we can become more and more like Christ each day. Jesus 
in us means that you and I, that we don't have to look to other things to satisfy us, that we can find everything that we need in him, that we are free in Jesus Christ because it is by his wounds that we are healed. And do you want to know how God can use his scandalous, costly, powerful love in your life? Well, he can heal you and save you and give you life again. But here's something else. In Jesus, we all become messengers of that love for others to see too. We become living witnesses of the scandalous love of Jesus. See, he can use you, Jesus can, the same way that he used Hosea. His power and his love in you as parents to give you the strength and the grace to love a rebellious child. God can do that. That as a husband, his power in you is like a grace that will enable you to love a wife who is not meeting your needs. His power and his grace and love in you for you as a wife that you can forgive your husband even as you let you down once again. It's his grace in us that that makes us friends that can share the difference that Jesus is making with people that we come in contact with each day. It's, It's when God's love gets in you as a church, Genesis Church, that we can let the powerful love of God, his work, drive us to be generous, to share our faith, and to make it our goal to share the love of Jesus with others each day. That's what happened to the woman at the well. She told, she experienced the power of Jesus, went and told all of her friends about it, and became one of the greatest evangelists for Jesus in her community. And God can do that through you too. It's what he desires to do in each of us. Here's what you need to know today. Jesus has not and will never give up on you. Call him the the better perfect Hosea in this story. He opened his arms for you on the cross and he will open his arms to take you back again and again and again. And when you fall back into stints, Jesus will still be there. And when you struggle with questions and with doubts, he'll pursue you with his love. And when you're experiencing the pain and heartache that come with choices in your past, Jesus won't give up on you. There is no one like him. Everything else is a cheap substitute compared to Jesus. And he won't force himself on you. You can harden your heart and you can reject him, but I promise you this, that even as you run, he's never far behind. One day, you and I will spend eternity in one of two places, either with God in heaven or separated from God in hell. I can promise you that your sin, your habits, your struggles, and your past won't send you to hell. Only your unwillingness to receive the power of God's love and grace can do that. And his love is available to you today, no matter who you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great, amazing, scandalous, powerful, costly, faithful love. There is no one like you, and we don't deserve it. But yet you are good, and you pursue us, and you take us back time and time again. Someone here today, uh, maybe God's speaking in your heart. It's time to come back to the Lord. Someone watching online. You've, you've drifted, you've got your questions, you know, maybe you've got some things that you're struggling with right now. You can come back to Jesus today. 
and reach out to him as he is reaching out to you. He loves to bring us back. You can do that today. For some of you, you've never trusted Christ with your life before. There is no greater decision that you can make in your life than to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior for life, for salvation, and to receive his righteousness. Today can be the day that you do that and experience new life in him. Call out to him today. You can pray, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life today. You can pray, Lord Jesus, I am coming back to you today. God, do your work in us today. We offer ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you in this place and for all that are participating right now. Thank you for your great, amazing, faithful love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.